The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Brookery, a podcast about a life following and supporting Watford Football Club, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, my name is John, with me this morning is Mike. Good morning, can I just start, if I may, by apologising to my cousins, John and Rich. <laughs> this is going to be a great podcast if we're starting with an apology. <laughs> we're, we're, me, my brother and my, my two cousins, John and Rich, we all Watford supporters were in a WhatsApp group yesterday. And my negativity in that WhatsApp group yesterday was something that would even shock you guys. I was thinking about it this morning. I was like some sort of baddie out of the Marvel films who seeks out other people's optimism <laughs> and sucks it out of them to make myself stronger and more powerful. Um, I felt like that sort of just uh, yesterday. So apologies to, <laughs> to John and Rich. Um, I'm going to try and work through if that was... Um, uh, suitable or applicable or not uh, in this podcast this morning. Well, I'd like to thank them, actually, because on many occasions over the last 12 seasons or whatever it is we've been doing this podcast, I've been on the end of your negativity. <laughs> but I've always, I'm always i aware, Michael, that it helps, as long as it helps, and hopefully this podcast will help. Jason's also here. Good morning. I say good. That, that remains yeah. to be seen. <laughs> OK, this is where we're going. Well, fine, it's fine, because Watford unfortunately lost yesterday at home uh, to West Ham United. Uh, you probably know the score, which was 4-1 to the Hammers. The last two games have been very, very frustrating, but those two games have been 18 days apart. Mike, what were your vibes? Don't give us the full onslaught that you gave your cousins. What were your vibes after that game? Just really, really really disappointed and you mentioned the last two games John being being bad and I remember speaking on the podcast after the Brentford game saying I didn't really want to get involved in what we need to do uh, what the tactics need to be uh, and so on and so forth I just said we need to be immeasurably better and they just need to get out there and do it after what was a really really poor performance away at Brentford we threw away a losing a, a winning position and it wasn't just that it was the nature of it it was our inability to pick a pass our inability to see the game out our inability to uh, to keep cool heads and I wanted to see a, a better performance than that and I don't think I got it. I think you're right to point out that there are mitigating factors. Um, Claudio Ranieri said we ha- we've only trained once since Brentford. My argument would be it wouldn't really matter if we trained because obviously training wasn't making any difference uh, to judging on the Brentford performance. And there's obviously been, been COVID issues and injury issues. So again, we're playing against the backdrop of a peculiar situation. But unfortunately, once again, in a home game, in a game where we might hope to perform better and, and, and get some points against a team who, you know, have looked like they're running out of steam a little bit. You know, they lost um, against at home to Southampton a couple of days previous. Whilst we may not have had much hope going in against West Ham, who've looked like a good side, you know, recently they, they've struggled. But we made it incredibly easy for them, didn't we? Yet again, after a Watford game, I find myself pretty despondent and, and very disappointed. <laughs> Well, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think my biggest feeling from the game was, I think why I feel so despondent while watching the game compared to all the other games. And the Brentford game was almost like, you know, everything happened towards the end of the game. Very early on, I just felt like I don't know how we're going to turn this around. Yeah, and and I didn't feel that once during the run of terrible games. 
a terrible, what we thought would be terrible games against the, the bigger sides in the league. It never felt that way. Jason, it, it felt like you know, the, the game itself yesterday, there were lots of little things that were wrong that made one huge thing massively wrong. But four goals that went in that were completely avoidable. It's so frustrating. I mean, to, to be honest, we you look at the goals individually, you can see the mistakes that were made. First one, runners not, or a runner not being picked up, running through the lines from midfield. Where is the midfield? Should one of the centre-backs picked him up? No one. Backman doesn't move for a shot that's not that far away from him. Second one, Kiko gets out-muscled, then lies on the floor hoping more than anything that he gets a free kick out of it and he's got a history of that the third one what was Messina doing what was Kuzka doing what was Backman doing just just all frustrating individual mistakes but I think ultimately if if none of those had gone in it just felt like he would have been delaying the inevitable because from yeah. probably about the 10th minute onwards we we didn't look like we were in the game apart from the odd five minutes of of occasional attacking threat, but nothing sustained, nothing consistent. It was just a, a poor performance all round. Because defensively, Mike, that you know, it was the, the difference in there was Sierralta, uh, and for me, he, you know, he he was. Definitely being having a, having a focus on Antonio to, to sort of be his man, and he, there were many occasions where it felt out of place. Now that for me makes complete sense. There's a player who hasn't been around the main squad for a, a good couple of months now, and a, a, a squad that hasn't been able to sort of practice uh, on on their form and their their formation. What is it with, you know, is there anything else you can put it down to apart from just being a little bit haphazard comparatively, even more so than they have been recently? It's a tough one, really, really tough one for Sierra I don't think he had a great game at all yesterday, but I think it'd be unfair to point him the, point the finger at him for being the catalyst to, a, to another dismal defeat. Um, for the reasons you outlined, John, he hasn't been playing, he hasn't been fit, and he's been parachuted into a side which is... Um, completely unable to keep a, a clean sheet um, for about three and a half decades. So, it, hardly surprising to see him struggle. Uh, you mentioned Mikel Antonio, um, a particular type of striker, strong and really, really good. Gave him the runaround. But yeah, I don't think Francisco Sierralta will be waking up this morning feeling particularly pleased with his with his performance. But as you rightly say, it just feeds into the whole defensive performance doesn't it and and Jason alluded to it it's not just the defence they're not getting any protection from the people in front of them so Backman's not getting any protection from the defence in front of him the defence which is already creaky and dubious in terms of its capability any protection from the midfield in front of it so we're, we're just collapsing every time the team crosses the um, crosses the, 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 the halfway line. When we scored yesterday, I was, my initial reaction was, what a brilliant that go- goal that is. That's wonderful. I thought, oh, that's probably happened a little bit too early for us, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as it happened, and you know, as, as it proved, it was just relentless after, after that goal from, from Dennis. And we, you just knew, you just knew that there was no way they were, Watford were going to be able to hold back this sort of tide of West Ham possession they didn't really have to do anything with it to look dangerous because they were they were getting down either flank 
incredibly easy with very, very simple pass and move drills. They weren't having to really break a sweat to get to get into close proximity to our goal. And when teams do that, you know exactly what's going to happen. And Sierra Alta coming in, you could tell, was, was, was simply not going to make, make any difference. I think he's one of our better is one of our better defenders, but unfortunately, how much that says is 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 up for debate, it, and it doesn't look like it's it's going to make any difference whatsoever, does it? Him returning? Well, you you hope that you know he could get better through more minutes and through more training and formation because he hasn't actually particularly worked under Ranieri and whatever he wants to achieve. It felt like definitely felt like that. There were definitely times where Jason, I don't know, you know, it, early on, Sierra was trying to, well, I don't know, was he trying to, you know, keep this team together? You know, we've talked before about Craig Cathcart not necessarily being a, a shouty, commanding sort of centre-back. He's just a, a good, solid centre-back who does his job as, as, as best he can. And there's not a huge amount we can complain when it comes to, to Craig. He was sort of gesturing, and I wasn't sure if he was trying to control them and to, and to lead them in their formation, or he was saying, hey guys, what's going on? What's happening? Where am I? In your best Chilean accent there, lovely stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it very much, wasn't it? I think early on, I saw him, obviously he was up against my, uh, Michael Antonio yesterday. That's a, a sort of baptism of fire coming back into your first Premier League game for nearly three months. And there was a point early on where he's, he's got Antonio in his sights, but then Cathcart is quite some distance away from him. There's a big gap for, for West Ham to exploit if they wanted to. Yeah, you could see him gesturing sort of, is he asking the question, right, should someone be filling that gap? Should I be moving closer to Cathcart and Kiko coming across to, to pick up Antonio, which yeah wouldn't have been a good idea. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, he just, he, he seemed unsure as to what, perhaps what he should be doing. Is he asking the question, yeah, who's, who is actually leading it? Is it, is it Captain Sissoko? Should he be looking around, assessing what's going on, instructing the players what to do. And, and I guess yeah, some of it is him not being part of the the first team squad for, for quite some time. The fact that the players haven't been together for quite some time. One training session has been uh, has been quite well publicised, probably a, a big factor in that as well. And I, and I guess it was sort of a, a metaphor for the whole game because it was just, yeah, we're not really sure what we should be doing. And the team looked like that for, for 80 of the 90 minutes. Because the midfield, we talk about them protecting the the back four. The, the midfield felt to me the most, even more than the defence yesterday. It felt the the least together, Michael, out of all the performances I've seen recently from that midfield. No, Tom Cleverley, loser didn't start. Start with Ozan Tufan, and it seemed again a player who hasn't played a huge amount of football. He was the the, the poor link in the side and he wasn't closing down. There wasn't any energy to him and he was, he felt a little bit lost and that general feeling from that midfield felt very, very lost. It could, am I right in, in terms of pinning it down on him? We've talked about Claudio Ranieri a little bit and there's, I think there's two things that, are, that, that might make people a little bit uncomfortable about Claudio and that is that, under him, we're conceding 2.5 goals a game, which effectively means we need to score three to get a point at the moment at the current rate of um, of goals conceded, which is, uh, isn't is great. And the other one is this sort of bizarre, 
or, or certainly a bizarre for me blind spot when it comes to Imran loser because it isn't it isn't the first time that he hasn't picked Imran loser um when he's been when he's been fit or certainly would appear to be fit he was on the bench again yesterday and he came on relatively early after that injury um to Kiko wasn't it for someone who has been a rare um or someone that sort of seems to have played himself into a, an important role in the in the Watford side in terms of having that time being able to pick a pass having to show in that little bit of extra time and and class and and guile for him all of a sudden to be out of the team and replaced with with Ozan Tufan is is peculiar I kind of wonder whether you know that was a, a gauntlet being thrown down to Tufan yesterday saying look this is what we, we need you to do you we haven't seen it from you in, in your previous um, performances in, in, in a Watford shirt. And let's not forget, you know, talking about Imran Loser in, in glowing terms, John, you and I were at, at the Amex to see his Watford debut when he got hooked pretty early. And I don't think it, as we left the Amex that day, we were in too much of a hurry to see Imran Loser again. Maybe not throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to Ozan, the Turkish bathwater, of course, that is, with, uh, with um, Ozan Tufan just yet. But... Gee whiz, he feels like he's got a long way to go, doesn't he? I, I think he he offers little going forward, uh, and to say he offers even less tracking back would be would be an understatement. I think um, he's he's just a body um, in in a yellow shirt at the at the moment, isn't he? The only reason I could see why he would be picked is because we know that losers off to the Afcon, and therefore, mm. yeah, we need to get. Him, we need to get more players in that position up to speed. Yes. If Cleverly's hamstring is going to be a continuing issue, you know, that that's the only only reason why I can see him starting. But did you think, Mike, though, that the the game it, it felt different when Loser did come on? Well, the, the loser the loser substitution saw um, Uri Kutska move to right back in effect, didn't it? Because there was an injury to Kiko, so Kutska came out of midfield, which I think. Again, was a, a sort of a relief, really, because he was having another very Yuri uh, Kutska game in there, wasn't he? Um, which isn't necessarily uh, a glowing review slash recommendation. You know, I like him, Man Loser. He, we 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 did have a little bit of a, a resurgence, and he popped up down that left hand side, got into decent uh, decent situations, and at least when he's on the ball, you feel like something creative and sensible might happen. But I, I do have to say that whilst I, I, you know, I really like him, I think he's a positive. We look a better side with him in it. So yes, in that regard. But, but I just thought again, he, and perhaps it was more, even more apparent when he came on because we were able to move the ball a bit better and 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 break the shackles a little bit more in that in that first half. I just thought the passing was was dreadful. Um, the, the final ball was was dreadful, which was a continuation from Brentford where you know there was two sides there that couldn't pick a pass and Brentford won the game by virtue of being slightly less appalling than than we were well well our, we carried on with those tactics sort of seemingly unable to to pick a simple pass and and, and when we've got the ball that's even more apparent um and when we we did have the ball for little little bits as Jason said there was you know little spells in in the game where where we did have the, have the ball but we were just completely unable to do anything useful with it uh you know like I can say loser is one of the better performers loser is someone that gives you a little bit of confidence that we might be able to create going forward but that dissipates very very quickly when we try and try and build and you just can't you can't hold on to the ball 
What what are we going to do about about Kutska? Jace, what did you think about his performance yesterday in midfield and then before? He, because I think we might going to have to, we might have to use him at right back as well. Kutska, he started okay in terms of his presence, his his physicality. He made um, some good challenges early, and I thought got got stuck in, but. He, he almost feels like he's a bit of a one-trick pony because his, his passing, his distribution is just just poor, just not good enough for this level, which is which is unfortunate. He, he's almost, he, he's I think he's becoming the new Juan Carlos Paredes. He had a brilliant, brilliant debut, but since then he's, he's sort of left a lot to be desired. But did it, I think did, uh, for a player who doesn't normally play right back, didn't look horrendously bad, you know. Did you know, felt a little bit sorry for him to be thrown on at, at that position? I'm not saying he had a great game or a good game, but you know, you you, you do feel for players who have to make uh, such a dramatic change to their uh, their normality. Attacking wise, Mike, let's finish off this game. It felt like a bunch of players that wanted to try and make something happen, particularly King, Dennis as well. He felt a little bit nonchalant at times, and when Pedro comes on after. Cucho not really making much happen. He was just doing his normal, I'm going to try my hardest to do something and make something happen. But they just weren't doing it together. It didn't click, did it? I mean, you have to give credit once again to Emmanuel Dennis and the, the, the one spark came after a couple of minutes, didn't it? With a with a wonderful goal. It was um, He had to sort of battle to, to earn the space to get the shot off, which he... Which he did, and he and he put a wonderful finish in the in the top right hand corner. It was a really really good goal, and he's keeping up his his decent form. And if if there's anyone that's keeping up his end of the bargain, it's it's Emmanuel Dennis. I think he was popping up a, a, in defensive duties as well. You know, if he can get back, then certain midfielders certainly can get back that far to to defend. So I think there might be a few people watching the tape of um, of that. Um, so you know you can't really ask more than from from more than your striker than him scoring, which which he did. I think Joshua King continues to to, to battle away up there. He doesn't hide. He gets stuck in, but you know there, there's no service coming to him as a as a as a striker. The ball's just not getting to him um, from from the midfield. There's no passages of play that are really playing to his strengths whatsoever so you know I think he can be excused from from too much criticism we're just not we're just not playing well enough to get him involved in the game and and again Cucho's a, an interesting one again he works hard he he beavers away he harries he doesn't give up he doesn't his head doesn't really go down and I think there's there's lots to be said for that especially when you're when you're up against it like Watford are at the moment we're going to need people who are are committed to the cause and and who are willing to show for the ball and to try and make something happen I think he's certainly that I think his T perhaps is um, is perhaps a little bit lacking at this level. Maybe that comes down again to the sort of service and to the, the 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 opportunities he's he's having or being forged out for him, carved out for him in the in the final third are, are limited. But I do think there's a problem with his distribution and his his final ball. All too often we see him try and pick the pass, and it's the right pass. You can see it. He's trying to slide it through between two defenders, or trying to switch play, or trying to put a cross in. You can see it, and he's obviously seeing it himself and trying to pick it. But all too often, the the pass is under hit or slightly misplaced, and and everything breaks down. So, slight concerns over him, but I'm not going to fault any of them for for their effort. And the, and same goes for for João Pedro when he when he came on. You know you're going to get you know you're going to get the effort for him. Um, no no faulting the application. 
Um, it just wasn't wasn't to be for for Jao Pedro yesterday, was it? And he, I don't think he's one. We can doubt his, we can doubt his talent. Um, and the same goes for all four of them, really up front. They're, they're they're decent. They're doing what they can for this Watford side, but frankly, are being let down um, let down by what's happening um, behind them on the pitch. You know, I saw a lot of comments yesterday. Just they feel sorry for the for the players up front because you know they're trying to do do their role, but quite frankly, what's the point in them trying to to do their role when you know everything behind them is um, is, is carnage? It's like that sort of that meme, isn't it, of the dog sitting in the burning burning house, sitting there drinking this cup of tea, saying, "Oh, this is fine. We're scoring goals while everything around you is is falling to bits." So yeah, I thought the strikers, you know, they they stuck to their task pretty manfully without without creating too much after the goal. For me, for, with Cucho and with Pedro, it just feels to me like that we always seem to get better performances when they come off the bench. Whenever either of them start, they, they don't quite reach the level of the performance that we know they're capable of, which is a big problem because with Sar out injured, with Dennis going off to AFCON, we need at least one of them to step up and be able to put in a yeah. performance from, from the, the, the first whistle rather than when they come off the bench. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. We haven't had a uh, Michael Parkinson for a while. We'll maybe come back to that soon, but we thought we'd do something a bit different this uh, Christmas time. Rather than Michael Parkinson, we thought we'd have Michael Parkinson's godson, uh, as Michael is the godfather to my son, Eli. And this is our feature, which is slightly renamed... Michael Parkins, Godson. Eli, welcome to Michael Parkins, Godson. How are you? Uh, good. Fantastic. Now, you watched the Watford game today on Amazon Prime. What did you think? I thought the first half was quite well for the first goal, mm. but not the best shot, but a great goal, so... It's a great shot! Well, what about the rest of the game? What do you think about the rest of it? Um, I thought Watford wasn't just... They didn't have much of the ball, mm. so it was hard to get it around with mm. a lot of defence and the ball on their side a lot. So I would have found it good, but a bit hard as the other team was very good at it. And we're going to see Watford against um, Tottenham on, on Saturday. What do you think Watford should do differently in that game? I think what they should do differently is make sure they pass around, make sure they're more focused on where the ball is, not where it's going. Okay. Good luck, and that's for me. Thank you very much, Eli. Wise words there from a seven, almost eight-year-old, uh, and we'll we'll see how he feels about the game after we play Tottenham Hotspur. Mike, I feel we're not we've 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 started to get you to feel better. 
I feel <laughs> that we haven't we haven't we haven't got what it what is it, Mike, about this team where you're at with them overall? We'll speak to Adam in a bit about the about the transfer window and, and what's going to be happening, what's going to be changing. But you know what we've seen the whole season, but particularly under Ranieri, where where you're at with this this squad? I am really, really, really worried, uh, and I'm finding a I'm finding an increasingly tough watch for for me. To to sum it up, they look completely and utterly out of their depth, um, and I think the real concern for me is that it, we're just seeing rinse and repeat. Every single game in which we're supposed to be turning up and being competitive, we are we're almost the exact opposite. With with very very few exceptions this season, um, Aston Villa on the opening day, uh, Norwich away, which I think there's a massive caveat with that because they're to such a poor side themselves. Manchester United was, was obviously great. You know, I even even you know the Everton game was brilliant, but you have to caveat that with the most astonishing breakdown by the Everton defence in that game. So we've had some wins and we've had some high points and there are little mini little bits of fun and games with this side, primarily provided by the by the front guys. We had King's hat-trick, for example, against Everton. And apart from that, it's Emmanuel Dennis providing us with some some rare sort of excitement. But that really is a, a, a tiny little jewel in a whole sea of, well, just appalling football, really, because... It's the same every week, really. Where how does it change? Is 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 my question because whether it's Newcastle at home all those months ago, Brentford away a couple of weeks ago, or West Ham uh, yesterday, the performances are variations on a dismal theme, and the results just continue to to to, to be um, nowhere near what we we need them to be. We're shipping goals at an alarming rate, and we just look all at sea and we look completely and utterly out of our depth and they look like a side destined to be playing in a different division next next season. I've seen the same games as you, Michael. I'm not surprised by what you're saying. I think the difference for me in, in some ways is we, we got caught up a little bit after that Aston Villa game and some great performances and some big wins where we sort of, our expectations as fans completely changed. I know definitely after the Manchester United game, I said, you know, couple of people at work you chat away I said at this point we need to win eight games of football after this I reckon that side can win eight games of football and I truly truly think they that the side that I saw against Manchester United the one against Chelsea the one against Arsenal in this division would find somewhere along the line eight games and eight wins not sure if I've seen that as you said the entire time we're there Jason, though the performances and what we're seeing on the pitch is is sort of what you would have expected from the the quality of our team um, in terms of how they were recruited and put together. Yeah, I mean it's, it's that age old thing, isn't it? We we always talk about the where the investment in the squad is. There's been investment up front. There's a, been a distinct lack of investment in the defence in. One, two, three, four, five, and beyond seasons. It feels, um, and then we're scrabbling around for free agents in in sort of after the transfer window is shut. Um, now we've got the January transfer window coming up, but does this squad feel like a squad that can be fixed with a couple of new additions in January, which we know is not normally a time to to build a squad. It, it's it's plugging gaps, and it just feels 
to me at the moment that the gaps are too big to plug. We, 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 it's unlikely that we can get away with fixing the issues by making a, a couple of decent signings in, in January. It, it's, it just feels like it's too big a step to make. We are heading into January and we all know that that means the transfer window is opening. And I'm in a bit of a bad state. We know everything's been going on. Watford are stuck in a very hard place. We feel that we're stuck in our lives somewhere between New Year, somewhere between Christmas. Watford are stuck in between COVID delays, the looming transfer window, the AFCON and some not great results. There's there's a lot going on. So we could only ever speak to one man, of course. Uh, Adam is, of course, the host of our normal midweek podcast. Of course, they'll start again when the normality of life returns to us. And he always talks us through what is going on in terms of the newsy side of Watford, as well as, of course, with his writing. Now, if you want to read more about his stuff on The Athletic, you can go for a very special offer. Oh, yes. At the moment, the offer is £24 for a year. That's a 60% discount. And this ends on New Year's Eve. So that's £24 a year, £2 a month, that's 50p a week and that's pretty good going if I do say so myself. You get to listen to these podcasts absolutely ad-free via the app and the website and of course get all the depth and details of Adam's stories. So I spoke to him before the game against West Ham and of course we had to speak about the transfer window looming and all the factors that may lead to certain things happening or not. Plus of course having to catch up with Adam's latest piece on The Athletic called Sid's Jacks and Not the So Secret World of Football's code names uh it is a good read uh, i talked to him about that but of course we have to start with this watford squad and what might be happening i started by asking adam well what will this squad look like in a few weeks time and, and will we get some entertainment from them well <laughs> let's not get to just just win a game but win a game would be good the things that you can say which which are very sort of definitive at the moment and we'll come to the uncertainty and sort of the different movable parts and yeah. trying to fit it all together in a moment but they do want to bring in a centre half we know that there's injury problems we know that there's AFCON considerations with William Trista Kong going uh, Adam Messina going in terms of that defensive unit so they do want a centre back they do want a left back uh, as well so those are things that they they are working on and they want to get done so we know that that's going to happen there are various candidates that have been discussed in you know the pieces that I've done on the athletic and that are sort of the things that I'm working on at the moment just trying to nail it down because one of the key things is the timing they want to try and do those signings as early as possible because in terms of the, the centre-back signing it is it also focusing on a quality issue they want yeah. to actually try and upgrade as much as possible so that is that is part of it but they also know that they have got players that aren't going to be there and they want players in for January yeah. especially at a time and we're here for the West, West Ham game obviously when the squad is stretched not as stretched as some other squads but it is stretched so they want to try and get it done as early as possible but as we know January is difficult and it's not always easy to get exactly what you want. But those are the things that they are aiming for. And then I suppose it's always a knock-on effect. If you can get your centre-back done, you go, right, bingo. Right, we've got that left-back. Oh, brilliant, that's done as well early. Should we have a look at a central midfielder? Or do we wait and see how AFCON develops? Because, you know, loser might be back in, in a week and a half or two weeks and you might not need to strengthen. So they're not going to want to strengthen if they don't need to. But in those positions... 
yes it's AFCON with Messina going but also there's a little bit of a worry over Danny Rose so let's get another left back in and the same for the centre back yes a bit of AFCON with William Chuster Kong but there is a quality issue there as well so that's why they want to do that and tell you that, that bit getting business done we know how difficult January is always has been and I, you know, the Pozzo ways of, of making things happen are, are, are many varied ways. Do you think this is going to be, and maybe compared to other windows that you've sort of looked at, do we see this being a loany type window or do we see this being more of a free agent type window? Because I don't know how, so that, that's what the knock-on effect is for last summer. Because that would, whatever, those two for me feel a little bit more like, even if they did get them in early, there's a few weeks before they're sort of up and running, as we sort of see, we saw with Nkulu. Yeah. So actually, the, the, right, the type of signing we get is going to be the important factor. Because you want them in, because you want them to be able to play, I think that means that a, a free agent signing is probably less likely. And looking at that example, as you mentioned with Nkulu, took him a while. I think he played 160-odd minutes and then he got an injury. I mean, that can happen to anyone, but it can also be a symptom of the fact that you haven't been playing a lot. So anyone that's coming in as a free agent now, I mean, could have come in at any point between August and, and now, but they haven't been playing for an even longer period of time. So I would have thought it would be someone on the fringes of a squad or if they are thinking, right, we're going to upgrade now and we're going to speculate to accumulate and we actually want to improve the central defensive unit that we've got, we are going to have to spend a bit of money. You know, five, ten million pounds signing. But the fact that you are also then planning for a potential relegation and cutting your cloth and all that sort of stuff, it then you then sort of it's like a flow diagram. All of this, it's like if this happens, yes, if this happens, no, if this happens. So I, I, there is a lot to sort of balance out but I understand why a lot of people would go well now is the time to actually regardless of whether we're in the Premier League or the Championship or whatever we need to spend some money in, in central defensive areas and improve that quality so we've got better players because spending money is, is twofold one of it is the whole thing of how much money you're paying for the player but then there's the, the ongoing players contract and when we spoke to Scott in the summer if that contract is right and it has all the right sort of factors to it so if we do get relegated that isn't going to be a, a, a damning drain on us as, as a club that's going to be a fact that hopefully means you know, whoever we sign is going to be for in the, that way the right sort of signing yeah well and, and that's what brings in you know a, a loan with an option uh, a loan from a bigger club so you've got a player from their point of view that bigger club they're playing they're helping their market value or then you've got someone on the fringes who might actually be at a club that he thinks well I'm not going to be staying there but Watford go well look we're not going to commit now because we're not 100% sure on you either but we'll give you the little carrot of the option if you play 15 games we will have an obligation to buy and things like that so there's a lot of different options and I suppose and, and this is from you know experience with looking at what Gino Pozzo ultimately does in this sort of circumstance it's very much it's a sticking plaster situation mm -hmm. yeah. but it's not one of those low end yeah. <laughs> plasters that slip off really easily <laughs> you want one of those good sort of fabric ones yeah. one that you can wear the swimming pool at least yeah, yeah a good strong one yeah. or like a blister plaster that's a little bit more a little bit harder January for me was always especially with our previous years of the Premier League has always been hey let's sign the, the young talent, you know, that's when we signed Decore, that's when we signed Peñaranda, that's when we, they, they, they have speculated, yeah. I suppose, in the January transfer window, but very much for young players that technically didn't even come and play for us straight away, they, they signed them ready for the future, which yeah. we sort of already have done, we haven't, the window's not technically 
opened and we technically haven't signed him, but we have already made one signing for January with yeah. the, the goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. That could be a thread that we... Do you, think, do you think, with the current environment, that's where they may start using any money they do have, which we know isn't much, to something for the future? I think the main driving force at the moment, yes, they will have bigger picture plans, but it is very much a, a week-to-week thing. And, you know, they want to make sure that they're competitive... And they also then want to fix the deficiencies that they've seen in the last few months, and in particular the deficiencies that they've seen playing under Claudio Ranieri. Yeah. So they will have that feedback as well. It's, it is more short-term than thinking, oh, well, we could... You know, with the likes of Randa, who pitched up on the last day of a transfer window, Decore, who was going to go to Lorient and then came back, and all this sort of stuff. You know, that was when I think there was more of a feeling of Watford being up, up, upwardly mobile and more of more stable in the Premier League when they were making those mm. signings. Now they've had that recent experience of relegation. They know how precarious the situation can be. So they want to bring in experienced players ready to wear that can come in and be solid, which is which is a difficult thing to do. So, for example, you know, side Kolasinac, who's, who's Arsenal... He's been mentioned as as a left-back option, potentially. Just using him as an example. But he hasn't really been playing that much for Arsenal. And he's not been playing for a reason because he's not considered to be good enough to play for Arsenal. So you've also then got to sort of dial him up in terms of his belief. And that can be a motivating factor. He can then come, come in and go, well, I'll prove them wrong. I'll show that I'm actually a really good player and I'll earn myself a longer deal, potentially. But Watford won't necessarily be able to do that. They'll want to take him on a short-term deal. Right, come and prove your point, and then we'll deal with next season as and when we know where we're going to be. With Ranieri, though, you, you mentioned about him being part of their thinking now, far more longer-term since when we had last January, where Cisco had been around for a week and a half, or whatever it was. Yeah. Do you think he's the right sort of manager as well to be able to do something with players that are out of favour or young players who are missing something yeah I, I do and I think he's he's someone that I think we've spoken about this before that they would sort of lean on for his advice it's not necessarily him saying I want this player and then you end up with a player that's the wrong fit when he inevitably leaves at some stage whether that's you know this season or in the summer or next season or whatever I think it's more like right we've got this authority on football that's been around I would like him to play I'd like to have this sort of player or that sort of player. Then you set it alongside some of the selections that he's made and you go, well, maybe he's not the best judge. (laughs) You know, why is he not playing that player or why is he not playing this player? As an example, but we don't know the background to it. You know, for example, why is he not playing Imran Luzer against West Ham? What is the reason for that? We don't know. We don't know why he's not ready to... Maybe he's not ready to start. Maybe he's not been training as much. Whatever it is, who knows? But there are a few things that have happened over the last few weeks that you you do actually sort of put a couple of little question marks against Ranieri. So that would also be in the minds of the hierarchy that they go, well, maybe he is just another another head coach that will be around for a bit it, it will be it will be difficult to see how they sort of weigh all these things up and the majority of the time the decision making process will be made at the top level with Gino Pozzo and Cristiano Giretta so but a little bit of advice from Ranieri wouldn't go wouldn't go amiss but surely he's, he's got to you know have all the managers that we've had over the last few years he's got to have some sort of little bit of a draw for players to come and play for him compared to even if it is safe for six months yeah absolutely and you know we saw that with Nkulu coming We've seen it with players that have already been in the building that might have seen a lot of managers come and go. The likes of Tom Cleverley actually saying, well, yeah, you know what, we, we weren't sure, but he's definitely got an aura about him, the fear factor, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, he's someone that 
if if it's just something to push something over the line, mm. if it's if it's sort of weighing up, or should I go to X club or Watford? Oh yeah, I wouldn't mind playing for Ranieri actually. That's yeah. So yeah, he might be an extra. He might be an extra little advantage for Watford in this in this transfer market. But ultimately, it's winning games, being in a position whereby you know if Watford lose West Ham, Tottenham, and then are in in the relegation zone, then players will also be thinking well I don't want to go and join a relegation scrap and some of the players already in the dressing room will be going yeah what was uh, is there any way of getting out of this <laughs> do you know what I mean you don't know do you no. especially the players that have been performing really well now the, uh, the all the articles you plan to write this year Adam must have had a variety of you know ideas and stuff was the one you wrote this week about jacks and sids <laughs> yeah. the most bizarre one you found yourself writing well possibly yeah but it was inspired by the the incident that happened at Kingborough Stadium with William Schuster Kong and, and James Madison. And as I allude to in the piece, something happened there. Something happened. I'm not quite sure whether it was Madison, whether it was Backman, whether it was Cathcart, whether it was someone in the crowd, whether it was a brain fart and who knows what happened. But something happened. And it just made me think, oh, yeah, I wonder how often that does happen. So I put the feelers out I spoke to loads of players current and former coaches managers analysts all sorts of different people and basically it boiled down to the fact that there are secret code names that are used and obviously we had also recent experience relatively recent experience with um, Nathaniel Shalabar and Harry Arta genuinely just pulling a fast one on Nathaniel Shalabar by using the word the code word for leave it which in that instance between Watford and Bournemouth they shared the same word so Arta shouts SIDS and Shalabar thinks, oh, it's one of my mates behind me. I'll leave it. And it was actually the dastardly Harry Arter <laughs> to run away with the ball. So, you know, speaking to loads of players, I thought, oh, well, they're going to come up there. Yeah, there's loads of different yeah. words. Ultimately, Jack's SIDS is the most common one. And it's been used for years and years and years. There's a few other ones that was mentioned in the piece. I think mean, there's a Fred in there. There was a Fiverr ball in there. And interestingly, on the actual article underneath... And this is a thing that happens in grassroots football as well. Lots of other people have been sort of saying, oh, I remember this thing when I was playing and I used this word or some were a little bit being, being a bit silly. But it was just fascinating to, to sort of dig into that world and actually find that, yes, it is, it is something. I'm not just imagining it that it's an issue. It's, it, it, there is something there. But speaking to referees as well, it's so difficult to be able to decipher in a match situation. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Like the, I've, of all the moments I've ever seen playing football, that one with Nathaniel Chalabar, yeah. I remember yeah. because it riled him up. Yeah. He ran after him, yeah. and he was it, it completely changed his mindset of a good yeah. couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't matter because we won the game in the end against Bournemouth back in yeah. the day. Yeah. But I thought they'd have more secret words like what Watfords would be Grahams. Or you know, or Eltons, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah you know, every season. All right, lads, what's that code words this yeah. week? And change around because, like, you watch like baseball. They have their little signals they do, and they're a very, very complicated system yeah. where actually you're only looking for the fourth one, even though they do 15 of them. Yeah. It's all that sort of yeah, secret yeah, yeah. code. But actually, I was surprised at how unsophisticated football was <laughs> with with their secret codes. Yes. Oh, it is. That's that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's unsophisticated. What about the arms? When they put their arms up, does that mean... Uh, I, I assume there are meanings and I don't sit down and analyse it, but there's got to be something in those. Well, you would think that. I think some, it means something, but what I've found out from speaking to a few people, 
is that basically those signals are almost to try and deceive your next opponent by, all right, I'm going to put up my right hand and they'll think that this means near post, mm. but it's actually far post. But when they look at it, the analyst for the next team, they'll think, oh, well, that, that must mean near post. So we will use yeah, that as a trigger. Yeah, yeah. But then everyone does that. So everyone probably just disregards it anyway. And what Peter Taylor said was, because he is someone that someone mentioned to me, actually brought in this Jackson Sids when he was England under 20, England under 21 coach, was that the, the, the signals aren't really there because the hand signals don't really mean anything because ultimately what he said to the players is look we will make runs according to the quality of the delivery so we'll have a run that is according to a badly hit cross one that's hit perfectly and one that's over hit so we'll try and cover our bases by having options that if we if the deliverer messes it up or delivers it perfectly someone will be in and around that position but ultimately it's down to the execution and so many different things actually aligning at that time that a hand signal for a near post thing it's like well they're not just going to leave the near post completely free i just found it very interesting that that there is so much thought but also so, a limitation to the imagination of, yeah. of, of of football seemingly in terms of code words because you also look at you know you mentioned baseball but nfl and all that sort of stuff there's so much code in that but yeah football is basically jackson sids and there you go <laughs> part of the athletic podcast network this is from the rookery end. So there we go, Michael. We're going to have a we're going to have a transfer window where a left back and a centre back to really make that defence better. They're going to come in. They're going to come in early. It's going to help improve things. It's going to. It's it's really got to. But this this is it is it going to? As Jason sort of alluded to earlier on, is this going to be enough to? I'm not saying give us entertaining football, which I did jokingly start that chat with Adam about. Is, is it going to be enough to get us through the season? We talk, you, know, you talked earlier on about those games that we've won. They've always felt like we took the opportunities when they were there. We took the opportunity against a weak Norwich. We took the opportunity against a, uh, an Everton team that sort of just went to pot. And we took the opportunity against Manchester United when they were just in absolute pieces. I'm not sure if they've ever got back together again since then. Do you think it's going to be enough to, for us to find... Well, I, I keep going about wins. A few draws would be would be helpful as well. You know, almost like that Brentford game should have been a draw uh, and that would have been very helpful. The Southampton game early in the season, that could have been a draw. We, you know, we'd be a few more points ahead. We're just winning or losing. It feels, it always feels that way. Do you think it's going to be enough, Michael, for you? You see a lot of people talking about January and, and what needs to happen. And, you know, I hate to be... OK, well, let's look at it objectively. Let's be sensible about it and try and take a, a, a an X's and O's approach to it. Now, Adam mentioned that it, it sounds like a left-back and a centre-back are on are the, are the targets, which should come as a surprise to absolutely no one and should come as a relief to, to absolutely everyone. The, the situation, of course, is who are those players going to be it, it was it was quite a jolting reminder to for madam really wasn't it that um thinking about signing players that are out of contract or free agents and that's probably obviously off the table because if we were going to do that we would have done it already as adam pointed out and i hadn't really considered that you think about all transfers having to take place in 
in January. So it's, it's going to need to be a signing from two signings from somewhere and they are going to need to hit the ground running. Arguably the two most important signings of the of the Pozzo era because if we don't plug those gaps in, in defence, there is literally not a hope of this side staying in the division. Um, it's, it's happened far too often for us to be unlucky. It's happened far too often for it to be down to uh, COVID. It's happened far too often for it to be down to injuries. This team, this squad, in its current guise, cannot keep clean sheets and therefore cannot win or draw enough games to stay in the Premier League. So we need new defenders. They need to come in and they need to make an immediate impact. So you have to ask yourself, how likely is that? Where are these defenders going to come from? Where What sort of club is willing to let a, a player that is good enough to stand up to the barrage and the salt that the Premier League provides go? Is a player that is able to stem the... Uh, the tide against some of the best uh, strikers in the in the world um, going to want to come to Watford and step into what looks like a complete mess as a defender. Um, flip it, you know, as a defender, uh, are you going to want to say, well, that's a challenge. I'll, I'll take it on and I'll I'll go and sort Watford out, perhaps. But already in in thirty seconds of thinking about it, you see how difficult it's going to be to sign. The, the the players that we're going to need to, to stem the flow. And I think there are people out there who think that, that, that we will add further bodies. Um, and, you know, Adam alluded to the fact that adding to midfield could be a mistake because Lamar's loser will be away for a couple of games. He, he, he may well be back soon. And, and the bigger issue is... Uh, we've all sounded pretty downbeat, John. For the first time, you you've sort of struggling to see how how it turns around. We all hope it will, but we're all on the same page in feeling pretty despondent. The boardroom will be seeing exactly what we've seen, which is a team headed one way. And the reality is that if we are relegated, and as Adam mentioned when you spoke to him there, John. There are huge, huge financial implications of, of getting relegated. So what we cannot do uh, is is throw a, lo- a load of money at, at January, which even if the players were available, even if the players wanted to come, even if they agree wages, we cannot throw a load of money at, at this January transfer window because if you get relegated, we'll find ourselves in a lot of trouble again. Because if you look at if you actually look at our saleable assets which is what we'd be relying on if we went down. We've been dealt a hammer blow in terms of Ismail Assad's saleability with him being injured. You know, He's been spoken of as a £35 million plus player. Um, we need to sell him for that. We need to sell him for £30 million to get our money back. So we're unlikely to make a net profit on him at the moment. And, and we've seen it before. We love Emmanuel Dennis. We love Gerard Pedro. But they're not going to... They're not going to see. They're not going to generate hundreds of millions of pounds by selling our, our best players. Emmanuel Dennis isn't going to go for for massive amounts of money. João Pedro, much as though he's a brilliant player, he isn't going to go for loads of money. So our saleable assets, you know, outside WD18, they simply aren't rated that highly. So they have. We will be looking at thinking if we go down, how do we generate cash? And there is a there's a big question mark over that. So, if they think that the, that they really are in the in the in the in the brown stuff, are they going to spend twenty million in uh, in January 
and and yes, obviously the argument is you save, you spend twenty million, and if you stay up, then it's worth hundreds of millions. But you look on the flip side: do you gamble and try and stay in the Premier League, or do you cut your cloth on what looks like is going to happen? And and make sure you're a sustainable side in the championship, Jason. But, you know, we've got to bring these players in. Who misses out? Who are the ones who are going to have to sort of say, "Sorry, guys, either you're going to go, out, you're going to go out somewhere on loan, or you're just not going to make the uh, the Premier League 25." Who's going to miss out in, the, in terms of centre backs? Well, well, I, it, I guess it depends on yeah, obviously who comes in, but then also are there any options for for actually moving players on not just leaving them out of the squad but who do you move on now it, it seems a shame to say it but I if you look at maybe Christian Capaselli he's a player who for me has always been on the brink of being a, a first team player a player who should be taking his next step pushing on establishing himself but he's always been there and he's never moved on. He's had injury problems and it just feels like he, he's, what, he's, he's late 20s now, isn't he? Is he or is he nearly 30? I, I, I think he's, he's, he's a lot older than I imagine him to be because he's not seemingly developed as a player from where he was when he sort of first joined Watford. So sadly, you do wonder if it's, if it's time for, for him to move on, not just lose his place in the squad, but perhaps he needs to move on to kickstart his career or what's left of it. I thought the same thing because I think the obvious one would have been William Trustecon for poor performances and fan rage that's happened. But who's going to be able to contribute enough this season is what I think it's going to have to come down to, Jace. Because for me, Cavaselli is the one who is the biggest question of will he be able to contribute something or another. William Trustecon has been playing because of injuries to Sierra Alta and Nkulu and, and Cavaselli you would expect. But... We need to make sure we've got the, the squad to sort of be able to to put some minutes in, if not performances in. Uh, and Cabaselli seems to be the one to miss out. The, the hard decision, though, Jason, really has got to be left back. Who's going to miss that one? Again, if you if you make it a simple choice, and again, it's if we if we get the right player in at left back, Danny Rose, unfortunately, is feeling more and more like a gamble that that hasn't come off. And perhaps it was a low risk gamble because there was no transfer fee involved he's a player that that had Premier League experience but his career had been on a on a downward spiral since his sort of latter days at at Tottenham Um, and whilst we've seen glimpses of what he can be uh, I think Norwich was one example but but that's against Norwich and it needs to be against other teams not just those at the bottom the 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 let's say easier games that, that we've we've come up against. I've used Mike's um, uh, phrase before of being a flat track bully. It's starting to seem that that's what he's like. Uh, now picked up a, another injury. It's uh, it's it's something we tried. I don't think it's quite come off. So perhaps he's the one that uh, that disappears with Messina. <sighs> Yesterday was disappointing from him, but. We know he is capable of playing or putting in the performances. He needs to step up, but you have to feel that if it is a left back we're looking at in um, in January, as, as Mike said, it needs to be a first team straight in the starting 11 left back because at the moment, neither of what we got seems to be capable of uh, pushing this team on to, to safety. 
Mike, is this Gino Pozzo's most challenging moment as owner slash transfer guru? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think Gino and Scott are facing a real crossroads here um, because it, there's a very real possibility that Watford will get relegated. And look, let's let's we also have to say that Watford is still outside the relegation zone. <laughs> there are still currently three sides that are performing worse than 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 Watford, and this season isn't over yet. We aren't relegated. We, we're talking like we are this morning because we feel despondent after another another poor performance. And the reality is that teams around us cannot keep performing as badly as that. Um, so we're not down yet, but but we are headed one way, aren't we? And there needs to be some urgent attention, some urgent care and first aid carried out on this squad very, very rapidly if, um, if it isn't going to be terminal. So in that regard... Uh, in terms of the transfers that they make, and I think they will be very focused. They'll be it'll be a surgical um, visit into the transfer market to address a very specific ailment. Um, they have to get it right. There is no wiggle room because if the, the a left back and a centre back come come in and they're no good, we're back to what we've got now, and we'll be continuing to 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 get what we've seen so far, which we we know isn't good enough. So look, they're not they're not stupid. They're not blind. Um, and they they want the best for this football club, so they will be beavering away, trying to bring in the personnel that will change around Watford's fortunes. But if they get it wrong, who knows? You know what the knock-on effect will be. We've spoken about you know the legacy that that, that we felt we had within our grasp when we were established in the Premier League. It felt like right, this is Watford safe now. We're, we've made it into the Premier League, and we've we've shown we can we can stay in the Premier League, then we blew it, then we got back up, and now we look like we're in danger of of blowing it again. I think it really is. I think it's it's important. And if they get it right, we can stay up because there, there, are, there are positives. We can score goals. There is some talent in that midfield. So if we are able to, to tweak the squad, to tweak the team accordingly, we can beat Norwich again. We can compete with teams like Burnley. We can take points perhaps off off Newcastle. We can get those requisite points to somehow stay in the Premier League. And then you'd hope that in 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 the summer they've learned some very 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 serious lessons about what's a, a squad that is required to to stay in the Premier League looks like. Because I wanted to talk about Gino chaps, and so excuse me for going off on a on a bit of a tangent, but you see a lot of people sort of posing the question, is it now time to ask, you know, to suggest that it's Pozzo out or we need to start looking for new owners? Would life be, you know, and that for me is a, a, a deeply, deeply flawed question because the only time you can say, is it time for Pozzo out is if you know what comes after Gino Pozzo and Scott Duxbury and no one knows that. No one knows who's, and the, the likelihood is it that no one's going to come in with deep pockets. We're not going to get taken over by Saudi Arabia. We're not going to get taken over by a Russian oligarch. It simply isn't going to happen. So we aren't going to be taken over with someone with bottomless pits of money that they can just throw at it to make us competitive in the Premier League or to make sure that we can bounce straight back from the Championship. It's not going to happen. So when you say it's Pozzo out for me. You also need to tell me and the people you're talking to who's coming in and what the future looks like 
for Watford. And 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 I've seen other people sort of suggest that, oh, I'm fed up of this sort of purgatory under under Gino Pozzo and uh, and Scott Duxbury. Well, the reality of this purgatory is that whilst yes, we are going to watch appalling performances week out, week in, week out. We still are in the Premier League. We're still outside the bottom three. And we're still in with a chance of being in the Premier League next season. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather see Manchester United coming to to Vicarage Road than Macclesfield. Uh, And under their stewardship, we've seen more uh, of Manchester United than we have of teams like Macclesfield. No offence, Robbie uh, Savage. I know you're a big fan of the podcast. Um, (laughs) I, I was using alliteration to make a point. So, yes... There have been huge, huge mistakes. Yes, there are massive, massive issues. And yes, every Watford fan at the moment has the the right to question those decisions that have led us to watching this team week in, week out. That That is beyond discussion. It isn't a debate. They have made mistakes because the team isn't good enough at the moment. But to talk about because things aren't good enough in this moment, when you talk about ownership, you are talking about generations generational impacts on a football club and if you want to get rid of this particular ownership you need to be damn sure about what's coming next and i for one am not so if if you if if people want to ask about whether it's pozo out time you need to know what's coming next who's coming in and and the answer is is far from clear so i would just urge a lot of caution uh, in 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 that discussion, but by the same token, defending everyone's right, mine included, to ask serious questions of the of the regime as to how they have allowed the team to, um, how they have allowed the team to be in this in this state where it's simply not good enough. They need to learn the lessons, and they need to learn them quickly. And they've given, you know, it's almost like they're cramming for for their A levels. They've given themselves a week. Um, to learn chemistry before their, their before their chemistry A level, it might work. They've got the January transfer window as their as their revision period left, but that's it. They've got one hit now because it looks like if they don't get it right, then we're we're going one way, and and you know there's some, going to be some difficult discussions and difficult times ahead. So long answer to a short question. But the answer is yes. I think it is the most important transfer window in uh, uh, in Gino's tenure. But I also think it's I, I I struggle to see whether it can be a silver bullet. If a left back and a centre back come in, if we sign the, the we need to sign the twenty twenty two version of Colin Foster, don't we? And Tommy Mooney because he could play left back as well, couldn't he? They came in at the same time. So if we can sign players with that sort of impact we could turn it around. Jason, I wasn't sure there. He, he, he was he was sort of getting at a riling, let's go with it sort of moment there. <laughs> but he didn't quite, quite nail it. <laughs> Thank you very much for trying though, Michael. Oh, look, no worries. We're, look, we're in it together. We all want the same thing. We're all, we're all desperate. We're all finding it a, a, a terribly hard watch at the moment. But um, we're in there fighting just, you know, look at the league table, it's it's funny. There's games in hand all over the shop. There's there's teams that are struggling. We need to struggle less than them, and we're we're in with it. We're in with a shout. It's it's going to be a difficult, funny, challenging end to the season. But uh, look, we're still in there and fighting. So uh, let's uh, let's keep going. Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, thank you.
One story we haven't talked about in this podcast, uh, it started sort of forming itself last night after the game, was would Emmanuel Dennis be going, or is Emmanuel Dennis going to be going to AFCON? Some comments from Claudio Ranieri about it. maybe their, their paperwork and their emails came a bit too late. Adam has got the full story of that uh, on The Athletic. That's theathletic.com forward slash end if you haven't subscribed yet. 60% off, remember the great deal. But again, that's something that, that's sort of forming itself at the moment and uh, we'll find out more about that and hopefully talk about that on the next podcast. But if you want to keep up to date with it all, make sure you're following Adam at Adam Leventhal on Twitter. And uh, also check out his stuff on The Athletic. We're back after the Tottenham game with another podcast. And we hope that it will be a more joyous occasion. Just a smidge. Come on, you horns. The Athletic.